0: Welcome back to
1: Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, hey, Squirrel. How are you? I'm doing great. All right. Well, we're back uh, for part two of what I expect will be a three-part series. Uh, we were talking about uh, Martin Fowler's uh, State of Agile Software, which is a post he did on his uh, blog, and it was also his keynote at Agile Australia this year. And um, so State of Agile Software 2018, and last time, uh, he talked, we talked about what he described as the first problem. In his keynote, which was the Agile Industrial Complex, uh, which is a wonderful name. name. Yeah, Exactly, I love I, I love that name. Um, and uh, and this time we're going to talk about what he put forward as the second problem, uh, which is uh, the lack. The second problem is the lack of recognition of the importance of technical excellence to what we do. Uh, and then he had some uh, things that he particularly called out: um, keeping software soft, uh, the value of refactoring. Um, and rapid releases and lower error rate uh, in particular. So uh, I think we're going to talk about that and add our own our views on it and see if we agree w- with each other or, or and with uh, Mr. Fowler. Excellent. Sounds good. Well, uh, it it almost seems like it's either a
0: completely obvious answer yes or an obvious answer no. In my work, I off, I, I don't write any code anymore. I wish I, I wish somebody would pay me to write code. If somebody wants to you know, let me know. Uh, I, I'd be happy to. <laughs> But in that sense, what I do doesn't require any coding. In fact, I help teams that write in .NET and other languages that, uh, and Elixir and things like that, stuff I, I don't know at all. So in that sense, kind of what I do, I don't need technical excellence. But on the other hand, I have a pretty strong feeling that the teams I work with do a lot better when they do stuff like write unit tests really well. So I'm, I'm kind of stuck whether it's obviously yes or obviously no. What do you think?
1: Well, I, I, I definitely understand where he's where he's coming from, and uh, he described how, like in the big agile conference in the US, and I think this is repeated worldwide, over time there was a real drift in the tracks uh, in that the early uh, the early conferences had a lot of technical tracks, and over time there were fewer and fewer, and it became much more about sort of the product managers. And um, and the uh, scrum masters and uh, all the soft skills and I guess like people like you and me now <laughs> would would show up people who used former coders and the and the the, uh, and the coders went away uh, um, and I think that that's one thing he was trying to address is that there seemed to be in the early days there was a strong link between the technical practices and agile
0: mm-hmm. and and now we have agile coaches who uh, have never written software. And I, I think that seems pretty strange to me.
1: It, well, it, it it does, but um, I, is that just a case of you and I, you know, had a certain path, and people coming in now, uh, as you mentioned, you and I, day to day, we don't code anymore. Um, you know, maybe someone uh, who'd never coded could do the same thing you and I do. I, I'm I'm willing to accept that. Yeah, I guess you're right, but
0: I'm I'd be worried that they might, and I think a good one would not, but I'd be worried that they might not emphasize some of the technical practices like refactoring in Fowler's sense and writing unit tests and so on, because there, they're, I certainly hear that kind of thing with worrying frequency that, um, hey, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff, just uh, re- uh, have sprints and do the, do the right Agile ceremonies and you'll be okay.
1: Um, it's not so that any particular person, you know, uh, a coach or whatever, needs to have the technical excellence. But um, I, I think that uh, to to use exactly his fr- uh, phrase, there has to be a recognition of the importance of it. And um, perhaps this is a case where someone who doesn't have technical experience may underestimate the value of it.
0: On the other hand, they could they could just be awesome at understanding it and say, well, look, I don't understand this unit test stuff, but what I really want you to do is to come along to me with readable uh, tests that I can understand in Gherkin or some similar mechanism because I've seen it before, and that's how I'm going to judge whether you're building good tests because they'll be readable by humans.
1: <laughs> that's funny because you describe that. It sounds a lot sort of like, well, you know, I've seen this work and therefore that's what I want to keep doing. <laughs> Um, uh, So so I think what you're saying though is that someone who's not uh, technical may uh, uh, be uh, still um, an advocate for technical practices that are good. Indeed. And
0: should be capable, I was telling you about this earlier today when we were chatting, uh, I have this belief that people who are not technical have too much fear of people who are, that they, they aren't able to tell, <laughs> that they aren't able to, to tell them, hey, wait a minute, you know, I really think not only should we have some tests, but I should be able to read them and I should be able to understand what the software is doing. So could you show me something like preferably today rather than six months from now? I really believe they, they can and should do that.
1: I, I, yeah and, and i liked your solution too which is that you wanted to have a a, a tech courage energy drink you know <laughs> let yeah, let, exactly. let people take this and have their courage work. i i actually completely agree um and i it particularly the idea that uh and i think that, that i would relate this back to the importance of technical excellence and, and a recognition of it because you can say like um someone who has technical excellence should be able to um uh, uh explain to me um, you know, kind of the state of the world, and you know, ex- if I have expectations, tell me why they're reasonable or unreasonable, and uh, and maybe push back on things that seem very reasonable. I know, you know, if someone tells me, well, to get a new web, you know, a new web page up, not a new website, but a new web page, is going to take us a month. You know, that just that just doesn't seem right to me. How how much technical knowledge do you need to to push back on that? I, I think you need to have seen Google. <laughs> because like Google adds new pages probably thousands and
0: thousands a day, so you you kind of just have to look at that and say, there has to be somebody cranking these out. There has to be something that's happening that causes this to occur. And, and journalists and other you know uh, the uh, New York Times or whoever they're they're churning these out all the time. So there must be something they're doing that we're not. And I think it's valid to ask.
1: But I think if we you know if we go back, uh, what I find really interesting here is um, uh, Fowler talks about particular uh, um, business outcome. Actually, as, as the you know, to understand the importance of technical excellence, he talks about uh, this quote: um, uh, "A late change in requirements is a competitive advantage." And Yay! <laughs> awesome. And I like but, seeing that one. It, and I like it too um, because it ties uh, it, it ties back to the sort of business value, and mm-hmm. it and it gives a business reason for. Uh, making the kind of uh, investment in technical excellence, um, exactly. And this is a quote from Mary Poppendike is one that if if you if you can ask for it, then you can say, look, I want to be able to support this. Now, I don't need the technical excellence, but you need to tell me what would need to be true for us to be able to you know change our uh, requirements late. Mm-hmm. And that just ties in
0: very nicely to the story I'm bursting to tell. You can you can tell I, I had the light bulb come on. And the, oh, I, I know the story for this one. At, at a client recently, I uh, did this thing where I make this bet with people that I say that it, I, I bet that you can uh, bring me any task, any activity, any story that you might have in your team, and I can help you to cut it into pieces that you can complete, and you can complete each task in one day, and they'll be valuable to your user. this person said, ah, squirrel, I got one for you. What we have to do is move this data to over here, and we have to update what it's named, and we have to make sure that it's duplicated in that way, and so on. It's all happening behind the scenes, and the reason we're doing all that is so that we can be faster and get more done. And show me how to make that visible to users, because ideally nothing will have changed when I'm done. And I admit I was starting to think about you know where the nearest pub was so I could buy this guy a beer. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it turned out that um, when I thought about it a bit more, I realized his his uh, his audience, his users for that, were other developers and the product manager because what he needed to do in order to explain the value of this and to allow proper prioritization by the whole team was to explain why this would make things faster and why it would be more useful. And once he figured out that he could say, well, there are five more things coming down the pike, and probably five more after that we don't know about, and each one of them will be five times faster as a result of me doing this work, that made it very easy for the product manager to put that at the top of the backlog. Mm, that's right. And then he was able to demonstrate that. He couldn't demonstrate it directly to the product manager because that person was not technical and was not able to go dig around in the database and see it, but he could demonstrate it to other developers who could say, yeah, this definitely make me faster. Oh, my God, I can't believe you got rid of this horrible thing I have to do every time. Hallelujah. This is going to make me much faster so I, I think there's tremendous value in taking the technical activities
1: that we might need to do and giving them very clear business value absolutely and i it, it turns out at at, uh, at Tim this past week we we had a technical summit, and one of the major themes for the week was uh, identifying work we could do that would improve our technical uh capacity what what work what investment could we make that would um Either remove work we were doing that we shouldn't be doing, or really what we were thinking about was making changes of the code base that would make our code base easier to work with in the future. So, mm-hmm. and, and because we understood the business value of we want to be have something that's maintainable, we want to to invest in future speed. We're willing to spend some time now, and it's uh, it's very much the same story. Uh, and the difference was it was you know the head of the business, which is me, saying you know how, what what do we need to do to make this kind of investment. And of course, that makes
0: all the difference. but even if you if, if you can be a leader and you're saying that and you're driving it downward, but I, I have the feeling it can also come upward that someone can say, well, hey, wait a minute, I know you've just prioritized these five things. I have a sixth one that would make all of them faster. Would you like to do that? And the answer might be yes or no. I've been in situations where the answer was definitely no. Was, um, you know we have a the deadline on Monday. It, it doesn't matter if we're faster uh, here on Thursday. Um, we need to get to to that activity. But on Tuesday, that might make sense. But today, what we need to do is do it the old way because we know that will work and we need to make sure we hit our target. So it gives you a very nice um, decision procedure. Would I actually benefit from making this faster um, to produce in the future? Is there an inward investment that's valuable now?
1: Yes. Uh, uh, We used to um, talk a lot about cost of delay. Which is from uh, Principles of Product Development Flow, Ms. Mr. Reinertsen
0: link in the show notes.
1: That's right, and they what they say is you want to be minimizing your overall cost of delay, and then if you if you've made your estimate for how long these things take, and then also what kind of benefit you might get from this investment, you can say when's the right point uh, for us to make this investment, uh, because not all cost delay curves are the same. If we have something where there's mm-hmm. a you know there's a very high change in cost delay. Friday because you know, we, we need to get something out on a, on a deadline, uh, then yeah, maybe we're better off putting this enhancement to uh, th- in speed to next week. Sure. But you know what? What we definitely should do,
0: I, I have my sarcastic voice on now, uh, what we definitely <laughs> should do though is, is make sure that we put aside a specific amount of time in every sprint for refactoring. What what do you and Mr. Fowler
1: think about that, Jeffrey? (laughs) Well, I think we're going to be against it. And I think also this gets back uh, in in part to what he's um, talking about, which is the importance of technical excellence as a sort of day in, day out discipline, Uh, that it's not um, a a special case um, thing that we we pick up technical excellence when when suddenly we think it's important. Indeed. And uh, one of my favorite quotes from
0: my friend, Uncle Bob, uh, Bob Martin is uh, in, in a tweet of his, which we'll link. But he says, uh, refactoring is immediate and continuous. It's like washing your hands in the bathroom. You always do it. And um, what you don't do is put on your schedule for the day, wash hands in bathroom. <laughs> right? That's not something that you do. So the, the point uh, Fowler and Martin are making there is that uh, this this is technical excellence is not sort of a, a scheduled separate sort of activity. Oh, now we're going to be excellent. Let's be excellent on Friday afternoons. That's that's not what we're aiming for.
1: Right, and I think you and I have talked a bit in the past about sort of the tyranny of business value, and this is I think been one of the the problems uh, with the shift in the people who attend the agile conferences. I, I feel like the earlier conversations in you know two thousand one, two thousand two, two thousand three. I think we've said this would have been the community of needs. People figuring out, you know, how are we going to figure out how to do this agile stuff? Uh, we were, you know, practitioners at the same time. Uh, we were, the, you know, in developers and uh, testers, and also saying like, how can we make ourselves faster? And it, yep. and we were looking at what were the technical practices we need to do that would enable business value. But I think you have this generation change of people who came in a decade later, in. 2011, 2012, 2013, or maybe more recently, and they've heard about business value, but they are are disconnected from the practices underneath that, uh, that enable that sustainable business
0: value. And that's the point I think Fowler is making, that if you simply say, well, I'm just going to crank out whatever my customer wants all the time you're not going to be laying the foundation to go faster in the future when that makes sense. There exists, as I was saying before, cases where it doesn't make sense, but where it does, you'll miss the opportunity. You won't have refactoring as a washing your hands practice. You won't have um, uh, unit tests that are there to be a safety net for you when you do have to um, see if you can take a shortcut and the unit tests tell you you took too much of a shortcut. You'll be missing those kinds of practices
1: yes and and so many more and because even though we're talking mostly about refactoring and testing here uh, you know i think the whole idea of architecture and design and automation and monitoring and so many others um there there's many areas where technical excellence will be uh, very very important towards your overall um, ability to be agile and i wouldn't want to sell any of those short it's really this coming back here that um it doesn't, if if we, we can do all the project management we want, we can do all the discussion about business value we want. We can go understand our, our customers and their needs and the jobs to be done they're hiring our product for very well. But at some point we still need the technical ability to deliver and not just once but on an ongoing basis. And what's striking to me about Martin Fowler bringing this up now in 2018 is, is how, uh, old <laughs> this idea is how far back mm-hmm. this same idea goes and i I hope in the show notes we'll add a link to um, one of my favorite posts from Brian Merrick where he talks about two forgotten ag- agile values, which are, are discipline and skill. And he's bringing up, I think very similar points here about you know that all of these um, practices they they do actually, uh, require people to have technical skills and and he wrote this as a follow-up to a blog post he did in so this is uh two thousand seven uh he he'd uh written this six years later what the agile manifesto left out in two thousand seven mm. after x p day toronto so <laughs> it, this uh this thing that brian is is recognizing uh with the x p audience even in two thousand seven uh we see Fowler uh, pointing out again i mean as one of uh three uh different problems but a related problem it is um this discipline problem and the or the skill problem uh continues to be a real bugbear and i guess the the question if this is most important for troubleshooting agile you know is there you know is there a reason that we can think why that would be or what what people can do today uh about it that would make a the biggest difference mm
0: Uh, Well, my favorite thing to do with my clients when I see this type of problem is to get them engaged in the debate about what is the overall business value of the different things they might want to do. So uh, a thing I have here over and over and over again for my startup clients is, hey, we've we've just pivoted. We've just shifted what our business does, and now we've got tons of technical debt, and besides which we had tons anyway because we took so many shortcuts. When are we going to fix it? Could we take three weeks and go fix it? And I, I'm pretty sure the answer is almost always no, but I say, well, what would the case be for that? What argument could you make for that? What and how could you put it in terms of business value? And I usually find that makes a, a huge difference in at least the type of discussion that they're having. So that's that's one thing that somebody could do. what What else
1: could they do, Jeffrey? Do you have any ideas? <laughs> well, I, I actually, I really like that as as a technical person who is wondering why, uh, you know why is it our our team never does the right thing? How can we never make the right investment? It's to understand that well. Uh, you can help this by learning the uh, business language. So I completely agree with that. I think the other thing is for people to to realize that um, it's it, they can help their case a lot by finding uh, those examples out in the world that would support the kind of investment they're talking about. And um, to give a couple examples, there's um, a book out right now. Uh, called Accelerate, uh, which was put together um, based on the result of research over several years of uh, high-performing teams. In fact, that's the subtitle is The Science of Lean Software and DevOps, Building and Scaling High-Performing Technical Organizations or Technology Organizations. And uh, here's a case where people have been able to say, look, we do have some research and different practices give different outcomes. And uh, so it's not simply a matter of opinion. Um, uh, you can, of, of course, you know, someone can, can have a, a, their own experience and say, this is what's worked for me. But it's useful to look around um, beyond your own experience and find those uh, examples where people can say, yes, here's technical practices that have made a difference. And we have some data to support them. And then that feeds back into helping to make the case for uh, uh, what your ultimate business impact would be. And I, you can get some of that even in here in the, the name of the book they're trying to help you out <laughs> accelerate we we can go faster Indeed. And um, I'd even
0: say I'd even go further than that and say that um, you can not only gather evidence from the outside world, which sounds really useful, and now you've added another book to my reading list. Thanks, Jeffrey. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so the last thing I need is more books to read. But um, the, the other thing that, that I see often as valuable is that when I show up to a development organization, I say, what could we do to accelerate? I often see green shoots someplace of somebody who's doing a little bit of what I think that organization might get help with, might get help from. Uh, for example, the, my client who is um, really, really struggling to get even any unit tests written, they have some some ma- difficult, uh, major difficult um, architectural uh, obstacles to doing that. They had one project where people said, you know what, we're going to try releasing every week. And I, I know that's really hard and we can't test everything and, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging for us, but we, we think we can get better if we do that. And they were lucky enough to be in a corner where they could make that happen. And uh, lo and behold, they did. And so it was very nice to be able to point to their work as I was just up there training that, that client this past week on site. And I could say, well, these guys did it and they did produce a product faster than the um, eight month sprint that you guys just had. So um, maybe you could look at what they're doing. So there are often opportunities for an individual developer to just start writing some unit tests, even if that's not part of what their team's practice is, for, for them to start doing some continuous refactoring, for them to start uh, having a design discussion over lunch. So there's often things you can do just by yourself.
1: And I, and I think that is uh, really probably the key advice, which is you know, look in your environment and find out which things are accessible and, and start. Uh, and that that is um, probably the the most important advice which is to um find a way to start improving the discussion and uh, practices of technical excellence uh today
0: and i'd say not only just start on it but also discuss it as you said uh, it, it, the conversation is very important about it because if you just do it in a corner and never tell anybody, they could just say, well, you're really fast. You have a low de- defect rate. You'd say, oh, yeah, I'm just a cool <laughs> dude. You know, I'm, I'm really slick at this architecture stuff, and, you know, I can just do it. That's too bad for you. You wouldn't do that. I'm sure none of our listeners would. What would be much better to do would be to say, even actively, before someone asks, "Is I've tried a new thing, and it's really working. What, what does everybody else think? If, if you have that, and that may lead to a difficult conversation, people may be defensive, people may not want to hear about something new, they might feel threatened. I certainly saw that at my client when I was training, there were some people who were feeling very threatened by the idea that um, automated testing might get rid of their manual testing jobs. So I, I I wouldn't sugarcoat it or, or suggest that this is an easy action, but having difficult conversations, as you know, Jeffrey, is is one of our favorite things to do,
1: and could be very <laughs>
0: helpful based on some evidence from both outside and inside your organization and your own experience.
1: Yes, and uh, the one thing I'll add is we we've talked about this mostly in terms of what I think the technical people would do, but as um, I expect that we have many uh, non-technical. Uh, people who are listening, or maybe post-technical people, which I think is how you and I prefer to be yeah. <laughs> described. I guess I, have to, I guess I have to be post-technical. Yeah. <laughs> so in that sort of uh, post-technical sense, you can help out. You don't need to put all the burden on the technical people. Uh, Indeed. You, you can help this conversation quite a bit just by saying, of course, our technical excellence is really important and it would do a lot. Can you help us understand where we might make these kind of investments that would help make us faster? And, uh, and and uh, help that conversation flourish. Indeed,
0: and uh, if you're on that non-technical side, I wouldn't be surprised if you found that there were significant people, significant numbers of people in your organization who are already doing this kind of on the quiet, and if you can try to draw <laughs> out their, their actions and help them to share it and help them to describe the business value, because you might know that a bit better than they do, that would be really helpful. Yes. Because if you're saying, hey, what could we be doing so that we don't have eight-month sprints and somebody says, oh, yeah, well, we could release every week. I've been trying that. It, it seems to work. That uh, is a, a, a conversation that I think would be very valuable.
1: All right. Uh, I think that's a, a, some, some advice that people can put into practice. And uh, if they join us next time, we can hear about the third problem that uh, Martin Feller brought up. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, next week. Excellent. And I'll just remind everybody that we'd love to hear
0: from you. Just go to troubleshootingagile.com. We'd love to hear your questions, your thoughts. Do you think refactoring should be a weekly sprint activity, maybe only on Friday afternoons? We'd love to hear that. Contrarian opinions are welcome, and we'd love to discuss them with you. Uh, One way, of course, to make sure that you hear the third episode uh, in this series on Martin Fowler's state of Agile is to subscribe. So, please feel free to click the subscribe button in your podcast service of choice and you can hear us every week on Wednesdays. With that, I think we'll we'll close and uh, um, see you everybody next week. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Paul.